Max Hall and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Benderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. At nearly the halfway mark of the 50 most relevant, we've probably not spent as much time talking about defenders as maybe we should have. We'll correct that over the next few days, starting with a conversation around Kitty Coleman. He was dominant for us late in 2023, especially through the AFL finals. And that's where the AFL fantasy football community has leaned in and realized there could be something special here. He's next up in my 50 most relevant. Hey, it's MJ from the Coaches Panel. I hope you're well. Joining me on this episode is fellow Coaches Panelist and Fellow Crows supporter, too, if we're being honest, talking about a really interesting prospect today. Jordox, how are you, mate? Kitty Coleman, he could be anything for us in 2024. He really could, MJ. Thanks for having me. It's good to be on. Um, he's a player that I think 12 months ago we were looking at and probably having a similar conversation about because of the way he ended 2022, that this 23 season was going to be his big breakout. And he actually regressed slightly which is concerning, but it doesn't rule out the chances of him doing it this year. And we'll unpack that on this episode, clearly. Wouldn't be the first time we've all as a community jumped on a guy and then 12 months later, all of a sudden he delivers well. Let's look into this 2023 season in a little more depth from a super coach perspective. He's coming in an average of 71.3, which means he's priced at just under 400,000. There is a couple of tons through there, a top score of 116, but he does have a career high score. By the way, this one comes in the AFL grand final of 127. So your boy can certainly score okay. While in AFL fantasy and dream team, a seasonal average of 69.6 means he's priced at just under 630,000 in AFL fantasy and a touch over that mark in dream team. Just a couple of tons in that format. A 111 was the top score of the year. I know he got the 127 also on grand final day, but I haven't counted that as his 2023 top score because, you know, kind of doesn't count, but kind of counts too because he's actually done it on arguably the greatest stage of them all from a football perspective. We'll jump into his fantasy data and trends and what happened as the year goes on in a moment. But Jordox, I think anybody that watched Brisbane play last year that wasn't having and supporting their team directly impacted against Brisbane would watch Kitty Coleman play and the flair in which he would come through the ground off halfback. Some of those damaging run and carry moments, that penetrating and booming left foot. This guy that started his career early days in the AFL as a kind of a crafty small to medium forward really has found his feet in halfback and he looms to be a part of this next generation of Lions that want to help them take just that one step forward to winning a grand final. He does, MJ, and he's one of those players that, like you said, he's great to watch. So when you have a player that's great to watch, he's great to have in the fantasy world. So he ticks the box there. He took a bit of time to get going in 23. I think a lot of the Lions started slowish. Even those mainstays like your McLuggage and, and, and that midfield group with Dunkley coming in, even Dunkley was a bit slow. I think Brisbane had a lot of change uh, for the better. Lots of players coming in and new mix. That the side itself kind of took a, a bit of a time to get going. But once it did, obviously Brisbane 
went all the way to within a kick of winning a premiership. And Kitty Cohen was absolutely a part of that. Like you said, that that dynamic run that he brings, um, coming out from the back line and, and coming up the field. Great to watch. Um, does it necessarily correlate to brilliant fantasy scores? It didn't every week. The key will be, can he continue that this year and make it more consistent with his scoring? I think that's a really interesting dynamic that you've unpacked here about Brisbane. So much of the conversation around Kitty Coleman has changed from even as early as a month ago within the community. It was, this is our guy. This is a value defender. And as we look into this back half of the season, oh, amazing. We've got to jump on. But you mentioned so much changed early on in this Brisbane team. Rich was in the side, then he wasn't. People think Coleman's going to fly, but... McKenna comes into the side and adds some run and carry off halfback. Darcy Wilmot starts to get regular games despite playing in the finals the season prior, actually is now part of this team. Jack Gunston is getting some opportunity. Josh Dunkley and Will Ashcroft, new mixes into the midfield. So it doesn't surprise me when you talk about this slowing start to the year for all Brisbane Lions. I see that understanding when... Almost a quarter of your team on field are new to working with each other and a structure. Yeah, okay, we're not going to be at our best come round one, round two, round three. And when it comes to Kitty, as the year went on, he did get better. That 69 average in AFL fantasy and 71 in Supercoach over the year, you're like, yeah, okay, there's a bit of upside, but there's proven scoring in the back part of the year. Over the final seven home and away games, he goes at an average of 89.2 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team and a 90.1 in Supercoach. There alone is 20 points per game of potential value of what he did for seven weeks last year in comparison to the price point he's starting at for us in 2024. Don't worry, it gets better. Let's look at his AFL finals. They don't count to his ceiling or price point or anything like that, but it does tell us what he can do when given the opportunity. How does he go in the three AFL finals? Your boy goes, okay, a 102 average in AFL fantasy and dream team and a 106 in super coach, including a 127 on grand final day that we talked about. Pretty much was on almost a flat ton heading into around halftime. He was the best on field. You want to contrast his finals to his starting price point? 32.7 points per game of potential value in AFL fantasy and dream team and 34.7 in super coach. But this isn't the only time, Jordox, that he's shown potential at the back end of 2022. You talked about there, there was some scoring there. 77 in AFL Fantasy, multiple tons and four additional 90-plus scores. While in Supercoach, that average of 84, four tons, including three ones consecutively. So you talk about a guy whose scores can move and move fast. Yeah, he's got it. So it's not just a seven-week or a 10-week stretch, Jordox, where we're now hoping and forecasting it could pop into a new year. Arguably, we've now got probably two stretches of 10 to 12 weeks that Jordox, if he can put it together and start a season like that, this is why the community is so interested to consider starting him in 2024. For sure. And let's not brush over that final series. I know that in, you know, we don't always look at the final scores and they don't count. They don't, they don't contribute to their price which is actually quite handy because it pushed his average up. But to do 
what he did on grand final day and even the prelim, he was really important for Brisbane in coming back. Remember, they started really poorly. Carlton got the jump on them. Coleman was huge in that second quarter to get them back on track. Now, finals, AFL finals, typically we see less fantasy scores. It's a lot tighter and it's not as open. To be on 100 at halftime in a grand final in DT and AS is what Coleman did. And to be part of the 100 at halftime group, I mean, there's not many players that can do that. To know he's got that in his wheelhouse, it doesn't mean he's going to go on and average 120, but he can do it. He had done it in a half and in a, the biggest game of his career as well. So we can't brush over the finals. And the other thing too is, like you said, after that 22, when he found that role change, he went to the back line and we all thought it was going to happen for him. Why didn't it? That is what I've been sort of asking myself and trying to work out in, in the lead up to this chat with you, MJ. What went wrong? And why should we have confidence that this will be the year? So you touched on it earlier about, you know, when you get a guy for a breakout, it doesn't work out. And then 12 months later, he breaks out and you don't get on because, no, I did that last year. And everyone else does. And you're sitting there with your mates every week and saying, I had him last year. This should have been me. (laughs) Sometimes we get burnt by that. Now, he is in his fifth year coming into this year but only his third year in the role. So 12 months ago, you thought if you thought he was going to break out, 12 months later, I wouldn't go back on that. Connor McKenna came in and took over a lot of the play that was vacated by Daniel Rich through his injury and, and, and not playing. He only played, I think, seven games with Rich for the year and he's, of course, retired after a great career. So Connor McKenna came in and kind of took over the kick-ins. Now, kick-ins aren't the be-all and end-all, but they are the little threes and sixes and nines in each game that takes you from a a run-of-the-mill player to a really nice fantasy scorer. So I'll just give you some stats just quickly for the kick-in percentages for the Lions. So in 22, Daniel Rich had the Lions share. He had no, I didn't mean that pun. Actually. Yes, you did. Good. You've been working on that all day. <laughs> <laughs> no, not in my notes. Uh, so he had 57% of Brisbane's kick-ins, Daniel Rich, and Coleman was next best with 14%. In 23, Rich fell right back because he didn't play much. But it wasn't Coleman who took over. It was McKenna who had 39% of the kick-ins, and Coleman was still second but only 17%. So that is just probably the difference for maybe 10 points a game, something like that, that can hurt. So this year, I'm not suggesting all of a sudden Connor McKenna doesn't have that um, that stranglehold of the kick-ins, but Coleman will be a year older, a year wiser, and obviously more experienced, and I think he'll get the points in other ways. When you look at this backline that we're building so much of the conversation through the preseason has been around the lack of top end forwards and the need to hunt value the multiple avenues of how you can structure up your ruck line is again an equally important and dominant conversation but the backline is just bubbling along and i don't think as a community we're spending enough time considering how we should structure it up 
Um, you've got the Dacos dilemma. Do you start with him or do you not? He he feels like this guy that is polarizing the community. And don't you worry, I'd be a fool not to have him in the 50 most relevant. So he's going to appear. We'll get to that. But there's equally as many people bullish on starting and equally as many bullish on fading and upgrading to him with some hope of some things going your way in that first few months. Then you've got the young. Does that midfield role and scoring hold? Sinclair, Sicily, Stewart, all have shown now for a number of years they can be at the top of the tree. How many of these top-end guys do we get? Then at the lower end, based on ownership percentage, it's guys like a Dan Curtin. I know he's in the rehab group at the moment, but the club are being uber conservative with him. You've got a, a Toby Pink who people I think are just picking going, he's a name and there's a space. So let's give it to him. Then you've got, depending on the formats, Zach Williams, Caulfield, Marty Hall. Then you've got Coleman in this weird spot, which could be a blessing, could be a curse. It depends how you want to look at it. He's not quite a cash cow. He's also not quite your atypical priced at a 50, 60, and you're going, if I get 20 points per game of value, that feels like a win. Priced pretty much at a 70 across the formats, Jordox. We will talk about opening round and the buyers early on in a moment, but pretty much price at a 70 across the formats. If he doesn't go 90, it's arguably a failed selection. Yes, we've got parachutes on and off him, which we'll talk about, but that's probably what makes him one of the reasons he's so divisive in the community is if he doesn't pop, man, it's going to hurt. That's an interesting price point he finds himself in because structurally you're committing to a lot of money but yet you can pull the parachute and move off easy enough, but it does have to work. And you do need to be super bullish. You can't be passive about Coleman. You've got to be like, yes, I'm into Kitty this year. Yeah. You've got to have a plan. I mean, I actually don't mind his price in terms of corrective trades. If, if we're a few weeks into the season and you think, nah, he's, he's not doing what I thought. He's already worth a bit, you know, uh, you know, DT and AF is in 600s. So he's not miles off turning him into a premium, if, no. depending what you do with your other trade. And then he's got a lot of cash on his head if you decide, you know, say you didn't start Zach Williams or there was someone a couple of K, 100K cheaper that is popping and you think, oh, I missed him. You can actually drop down to that player and, and save a bit of cash. So he's, he's really in the middle there, like you said. And then the other part too, and, and this is the real sticking point and the biggest strategy piece that's unique to 2024 is that he plays opening round. So, you know, when you've got a guy who's having a buy in those early rounds, you want to be pretty confident with them and pretty keen to have them. If you're on the fence, the fact that the early buy is there is probably enough for you to get someone else. Yeah, opening round is a unique cat and the subsequent buys mm. that come. And I think people that open the formats in mid to late December, whether it be the team pickers or when AFL Fantasy opened up officially, they just looked at that finals run. They looked at how good he was on grand final day. They saw that value towards the back of the year. And what did they do? It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. 
Kitty Coleman. And then probably haven't thought about it. The fact that AFL Fantasy is the only format at the moment that is open to the public and the numbers available. He's in 27% of teams. He's one of the most owned defenders. And so the narrative through December, even through the early couple of weeks, once we knew what the fixture would do and what the formats were doing with best 18s, it was still get on Kitty. He's going to be value. But the noise of the community, whether it be as content creators like us and others that have cooled on him or found other narratives or started to get concerned by the early buys, he's gone from this guy that has been perceived in the community as undeniable valuable, undeniable scorer, and potential anywhere from 20 to 30 points per game of upside, jump on to, oh, the early buy. Oh, the fixture's not amazing. Oh, there might be better options below. And that's what can happen in the preseason as we start to look into things. We can Jordox easily talk ourselves in and out of players, sometimes in a good way, and sometimes we undo the thing we saw early days and then kind of convolute something that shouldn't be that tricky. I think when it, when it opened and people are putting in their initial squads, I don't think a lot of time is spent on the back line. It was, oh, my goodness, look at the forward line. What are we going to do this year? This is crazy. Oh, wow, the rucks. Jeez, there's a, a lot of options there. Midfield is chockers because we've got all the DPPs that are no longer DPPs all thrown into the mix. And then there's the back line, the humble back line. It's sort of you start with, do I start Dacos or not? That's the first question. And from there, it's there's not a huge amount of debate that's going on. And even in, even in your 50s so far, it, like you said, we haven't even got to much discussion about defenders and that will change, I know. So I think when people first jumped in, they thought, Coleman, he's cheap. He came second in the Norm Smith. Pretty sure I was on 100 at half time. That'll do for now. And then I think a lot of people are probably waiting for more information before they tweak their size too much. And that's how you land on 27% ownership. I mean, that surprised me when you told me that before. So I think people are started off, you know, let's say over the Christmas period when they did their teams, put him in, everyone's hot on him. And then as time passes, as you said, uh, the opening round, the early buy, and then the fact that, well, let's not look at his grand final in case that was a once-off. Let's actually look at his season. And yeah, he didn't. He didn't have, um, he had some weeks where he was quite poor. So I think that's why people have trailed off. I think the next month or so is going to be huge when we start to see some, you know, um, intra-club matches and then we get into the real practice matches. And then, you know, not to go on about it, but for the first time ever, we get real premiership football, premiership points on the table to have a look at players before we finalise our squad. And they've got, Carlton, and he was really good against Carlton in the prelim. If he does it again, MJ, at that price, we're all going to be sucking into it. I think it could be a good move, though. I reckon the fifth year could be the one where he, he starts to really get up there in the you know, the mid-80s to maybe even the low 90 average. Yeah, and, and that's that space you do need him to get it. You need him pushing that 90 space. Otherwise, you're not generating as much salary cap growth that you're wanting to with your team value. You're going to certainly make more money off those lower cows. Why are you picking him? Really, you're hoping to kind of do both, get some value and get some scoring and place it on the board. 
opening rounds feels like to me it's probably going to trick a few people in the best and the worst ways. Players are going to pop a good score, whether it's a favorable matchup, whether or not it's just one of those games where a ball goes through a player and we pick them. Yeah, we will get the benefit of the price movement, but we won't get the benefit of the score on our teams. And so this becomes an interesting dilemma that I'm sure we will unpack plenty as we get through there. I, I think the ultimate indicator of, where the cooling of Kitty has come in the fantasy community. It might not be reflective yet on selections, but I think in people's minds of expectations and structures really comes down to Brisbane missing round two. And if Brisbane were maybe paired with a different team, I think it might be a different conversation again. But Carlton have two of the most interesting value selections for us this year. One with potential 110 scoring, and that's Sam Walsh, who at his price point and at his overall history, we kind of are looking at him in the community going, he should be knocking on the door of the top 10 midfielders, if not banging the thing down. And so people are going, yeah, okay, I want Sam. But then it's probably his teammate that's adding to the pressure on Kitty Coleman in Zach Williams, missing a whole season, but coming in at undeniable value. Yeah, potential chaos with how unfortunate he has been at getting over the challenge of staying fit and healthy on the park. But I think where the dilemma people have is going, I'm big on Walsh, big on Williams. Oh yeah. I'll be able to push a couple of cows onto the field in this round. So yeah, I'll still get 22 scorers and four of my crap scores will drop off and I'll do that. But all you're doing is you're elevating your risk profile in, with more cows on field, with needing them to score well. And all it takes is a Tom Stewart style injury like he did early last year, a Rory Laird style career brain fart, no idea where that came from sort of game. All it takes is a guy feeling a little unwell and not being able to perform at his best at one of your mid price or premium ranges. And all of a sudden where you feel like, I've got two or three cash cows. I can afford to have them drop off. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. All of a sudden, you get stuck with your Dan Curtin 40 on the field. You get stuck with your Josh Gibka score on the field. McKercher gets subbed out halfway through the third quarter and you're stuck with your 50 and it counts. This is where the risk profile, I think coaches are cooling on Kitty is going, only really getting one game, getting round one. I don't know if I want to walk in to elevating risk profile. And I think that's where the community are starting to go. I don't get the score in opening round. I get one game out of two. And Brisbane have the next early buy round at round 12. So he's got two games he's missing before teams like a, an Adelaide or a St Kilda uh, or a Fremantle or a Port Adelaide. Before they even miss a game, he's missing two. And so the community start to build this narrative of missing round. I like others in this round of value more. I don't get as many scoring bites at the cherry as others. And as you mentioned before, there's still some variable scoring that I don't trust with this Brisbane side. And Kitty, this is where I can see the community fading in interest in it. I think Zach Williams actually will play a, a big part in, in how many start with a, a Coleman if you are heading towards that opening round and then Zach Williams doesn't make the 22 for whatever reason and isn't playing, 
and you need that parachute option, Coleman will be a popular parachute option for Williams, albeit for those who've uh, kept a bit of cash to the side in the event of needing to, which, you know, I'm sure Zach Williams will be talked about at some point in this 50, and when it is, that'll be the advice, I'm sure. Uh, keep some cash up your sleeve until we know he's actually going to be playing. Um, but, yeah, I don't think there's going to be many who have Williams and Coleman for, for those reasons that you just uh, put out there with that, that early buy. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how people structure their way through these first six games of the year, both in prioritization of selection of who they have, whether it be at the top end premium, that mid-range space we're talking about today with Kitty, right through to some of those value options that we'll get to look and see. He's got parachutes about him, though. It's really hard, and and there are people who are a bit stressed about it, but I guess the, the advice that we always give here is just have fun. Like, we're all learning this is all new. These opening buys, opening round, early buys rather, and opening round, it's all new. We've never gone through this before. So just have fun. And, you know, I'm sure in 12 months, there'll be lots of lessons from the first go at it that we either take or, <laughs> or we're just stubborn and we do it the same way. I tend to be in the, the latter. I, I tend to just not learn from previous areas, but that's okay. <laughs> so Kitty Coleman, is there a world where he's incredibly important to your starting squad. Yeah, he's a guy that in the most important games of his life has scored tons and big tons for multiple stretches over two seasons. He's gone 80-plus averages and shown he can hit tons and 90-plus scores. And at a price point of 70 across the formats, you've got an easy pathway from 20, 30, 35 points per game of value in a line that people are still just getting their arms around. How do they want to structure it? Kitty provides plenty of potential. He also has arguably the worst buy round for a value defender with another guy sitting alongside him in Zach Williams that has got a better history of scoring and coming in at a cheaper price. Can you afford to start with two of them, let alone the value picks in other lines? Are you prepared to elevate your risk profile with your cash cows? Potentially, the fact is early on is where we see the greatest rookie roulette versatile scoring. And so could you pop a ton when others are just fielding 50s by abling to allow a Coleman and or a Williams to sit on your bench, you elevate the potential ceiling of these cows? Is he relevant? You bet he is, because there is a world where Kitty Common comes out of the gate despite missing a game early and tears 90s and 100s and gives you an incredible start to the year. Equally, there's a world where it doesn't quite work and it's another slow start for Brisbane. But is he relevant? You bet he's relevant. And just check out his ownership percentage. Everybody needs to keep an eye on him at the very yeah. least. Where he goes on draft day, though, Jordox is really interesting to me. We do know two things. One, people pay a lot of attention in the draft community because of the amount of salary cap or classic format hype, where the most uh, content creation is on offer in the classic formats of the game. That does bleed into the way we view draft. It is hard to turn off those two brains and different disciplines alongside it. If you expect him to go towards that 90 average, well, then all of a sudden, regardless of where you're picking him at almost in any point in the draft, you're going to get huge value upside. I think some see him as a top 30 defender. Others are slowing a little bit and think maybe top 40, top 50. Where do you think he goes 
Is he D4? Is that too late? Is D2 too early? Or is D3 the Goldilocks spot for him and just right Jordox? Where are you taking Kitty Coleman on draft day? D3 is probably the sweet spot. I don't, I don't think it's much of a stretch to say he could be a D2, though. You know, obviously it depends how those rounds start in your draft because everyone's going to be panicking about forwards. Um, I think I'd be pretty comfortable if I was looking at my squad at the end of the draft and seeing him at D2. I think he's got the potential to fulfil that role and, and get up to what you need him to. But that average next to his name, I know there's the salary cap um, influence, which could fade, MJ. I mean, it could fade. and There could be even less people talking about him by the time we get to draft day, most people's draft days. And that average next to his name, a lot of people draft by average. I actually thought if you've got any Collingwood fans in your draft that you know of, I reckon Collingwood fans will see his name and think, that guy nearly cost us the flag. He's good. So I reckon Collingwood fans will know exactly who he is, despite the average. All that said, I think I think you nailed it before. D3 is probably the sweet spot, but I wouldn't... Um, yeah, I wouldn't be disappointed if I ended up with him at D2 just because I think he can go on and, and have a good year. Yeah, D2 would only be if you've gone really deep and heavy on the other lines, you're kind of fading on that back line, and then you get pleasantly surprised with that possible upside. Otherwise, you probably are running a bit skinny through there. D3 for me is like, this is the normative spot people probably look. And there are some leagues where they draft, like you said, purely off historical averages. And depending on the depth and knowledge of that draft league, he could slide to as late as D4 with D2 scoring upside. So he's a fascinating guy to watch on draft day to see how it all plays out. The other thing with the backline for draft coaches who are really shrewd will know that the easiest players to pick up off the waiver wire that will deliver for you in the year are often defenders. There's always new guys picking up new roles that you can get off the waiver wire. So if you were to fade your defenders a touch and end up with a Coleman at D2, but you've got the best forward line in your drafts or you've gone mega on those mids, I mean, that midfield, there is the potential to go, you know, if you ignore the forwards and backs and just pick mids, you could have an extremely good midfield this year because it, the depth just goes for days this year. So, Everyone plays it differently. And um, like you, MJ, and most and all our listeners, I, I can't wait for draft day. It's going to be really good this year. <laughs> the good news is it's getting closer and closer. Hey, mate, always a pleasure to talk fantasy footy with you. Thanks for being on another episode of the 50 Most Relevant. Thanks, mate. Chat soon. If you want to go and check out the article that sits alongside this for Kitty Coleman, it is online for you now at the Coaches Panel website. Simply put into your browser, coachespanel.tv. You'll be able to see that article on Kitty, as well as all of the other episode articles we've done of players in the 50 most relevant. If you're enjoying the audio podcasts of these, make sure you're subscribed and left a nice five-star rating and review and share it amongst your fantasy footy league mates uh, about some of these players. Maybe it's a player you've got in your keeper league that you just want to let people know. Yep, my boy's on track for a breakout and you want to do a little bit of a humble brag and flex? Absolutely no problem with you doing that. Share that with the community. And if you're watching this or any of the other episodes on YouTube, you can comment below with your thoughts on this player. Is Kitty Common going to pop that 90 average that he needs or not? 
comment below and let us know. Subscribe and turn those notifications on. So as soon as a new episode drops, there's one every single day of the preseason, you'll be notified straight away. In just over 30 seconds, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a clue to see if you can figure out who's coming next at number 27 we're up to tomorrow in the 50 most relevant. But in the description of this episode, there's a couple of great things you can get involved in. One, all the social media handles so you can follow all of the coaches panel members, uh, whether it be on X, on Facebook or on Instagram. You can go and click there, check it out, as well as the official coaches panel handles. And it's also got all the links for where you can become a Patreon member. It's there. You can show your support for the coaches panel, get access to some exclusive and hidden groups, additional articles, podcasts, and even a couple of sneaky leagues that you can get involved in that are Patreon only and a bunch of other extra rewards. Plus, it's a practical way of saying thank you and supporting the coaches panel. We really do appreciate every single Patreon and we'd love for you to join in to become a part of that supporter group. All the details in the description of this episode. So who's number 27 in the 50 most relevant? Yesterday was a defender. Today was a defender. Good things happen in threes, right? So let's stay in the lane of a defender. He was a player that as he entered into the start of last year, I don't think anybody was talking about him. But by the time it got to the buys, let alone the end of the season, in our defensive line, he became critical for us. He showed a ceiling and a consistency of scoring that I think many people didn't even think this guy has. He's got a monopoly on this role now. He's one of my favorite players to watch. One of the most skillful defenders going around in the league. And as he heads into a critical point in not only his team's development, but also in his own personal growth, he's got the chance to go to the next level. He's already a premium. But could he be one of the few players that matches it with the ceiling of our top defenders for 2024. Find out who he is tomorrow in the 50 most relevant. Here's the